Chapter 1 of Stories of the Wars of the Jews by Charlotte Maria Tucker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. Chapter 1 The Return from Babylon. The Decree of Cyrus, First Caravan Starts, Foundation of the Temple Laid, Samaritans Oppose, Ezra Heads the Second Caravan, Ezra Reforms Abuses. In the first year of the reign of Cyrus, the Lord stirred up the spirit of that king, probably through the influence of the aged Daniel, to issue throughout his vast dominions the following proclamation. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver, and with gold, and with beasts, beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Great was the joy of the faithful Jews, who throughout their long captivity had been waiting and watching for the fulfilment of the prophecies made to their fathers, when at length the prospect opened to them of return to their beloved country. Doubtless they recalled the prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah, and especially that one, uttered by the latter above, 170 years previously, in which the Lord called their deliverer by his name, saying of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. The proclamation of the king sounded through the land like a trumpet call, to gather together the exiles of Judea, and large numbers hastened to Babylon to make preparations for their journey. It was a second exodus, a second release from foreign bondage, to seek the land of promise. But it was not by the whole of the children of the captivity that the opportunity of returning to Judea was embraced with patriotic zeal. Ruined dwellings and wasted plains, a city without temple and without walls, offered few attractions to such as regarded the country of strangers as a home. Many shrank from the hardships of the journey and the dangers which they must expect to encounter. Many who had formed ties in Babylonia felt bound by them to that land. The Jewish exiles were an emblem of those who, in all ages of the world, hear the call of conscience and religion. While some turn their faces towards a heavenly Zion, willing to leave all and suffer all here, so that they may but find an inheritance above, the greatest number prefer present comforts to future blessings. Their hearts cling to the pleasures of the world. They are too fearful too busy, too rich or too gay, to cast in their lot with the people of God. The first return caravan was organised and directed by Zerubbabel, the grandson of King Jehoiachin, and by Jeshua, a grandson of the last high priest, Josedak. The number of those who joined them was about 50,000, including above 7,000 servants of both sexes. Before they departed, Cyrus caused to be restored to them the most valuable of the sacred utensils which had been carried away from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, 
thousands of vessels of silver and gold were now again to be devoted to the service of the sanctuary. Zerubbabel was also entrusted with large contributions towards the expense of rebuilding the temple from the Jews who remained in Babylonia. Many and sad must have been the partings when that vast caravan set out on its journey to the Holy Land. The voice of blessing and of prayer was heard, as those who stay behind exchanged their last words of friendship with those who were ready to depart. Anxious and loving eyes watched the long line of pilgrims with their laden asses and camels slowly disappearing in the distance, and the hopes and prayers of their brethren followed the brave band who first returned to the home of their fathers. On reaching Palestine, the caravan repaired at once to Jerusalem, which was found in a state of ruin and desolation. Before the travellers separated to seek habitations for themselves, they raised a large sum by voluntary contributions towards the rebuilding of the temple. They then employed themselves in securing dwellings for their families. And at the ensuing Feast of Tabernacles, again repaired to Jerusalem, where sacrifices were offered on an altar erected on the ruins of the temple. After this, the people applied themselves zealously to the necessary preparations for the restoration of that edifice. In a year from the departure from Babylon, these preparations were sufficiently advanced to allow of the great work being commenced, and the foundations of the second temple were laid amidst the noise of trumpets, cymbals and shouting. But many of the priests and aged men, whose hair had grown white during the captivity, those who had seen the temple of Solomon when it stood in its glory and beauty, wept with a loud voice at the mournful recollection of the past. 535 BC While the work proceeded, the Samaritans manifested a desire to aid in it and to claim a community of worship in the new temple to be erected to the Lord. Their offers were declined by the Jews, and the people of the land, irritated by the refusal, did all in their power to weaken their hands and hinder them from proceeding with the building. An unscrupulous use of money and influence amongst the officers of government enabled these adversaries of the Jews to raise such obstructions that the work was at length altogether suspended. For about fifteen long years the faith and the patience of the people of Judah were thus tried. They gradually lost heart for the work and were disposed to believe that the set time for it had not yet arrived. The zeal of many waxed cold, and absorbed in the care of providing for their own security and comfort, the Jews were in danger of forgetting the sacred duty which they had at first so earnestly sought to perform. From this apathy they were roused in the second year of the reign of Darius Hystaspes by the stirring words of the prophet Haggai. Is it time, he exclaimed to the people, for you to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. The call was not uttered in vain. Filled with fresh zeal, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the people hastened to resume the work of building. 520 BC Amidst the difficulties and discouragements which beset them, they were still cheered by animating messages delivered to them by Haggai. The temple gradually rose, 
far inferior indeed in splendour to that erected in the days of Israel's great king, when gold was abundant and silver so plentiful that it was counted as stones of the earth, but a gracious promise was given that the glory of the latter house should excel that of the first, for the desire of all nations should come to it, the presence of the Messiah should honour it, and in this place will I give peace, said the Lord of hosts to his people. The renewal of the work roused afresh the opposition of the adversaries of the Jews. Tatnai, the Syrian governor, sternly demanded of the builders, by whose command they were re-erecting the ruined walls of their temple. The Jews pleaded the authority of the decree of Cyrus, and Tatnai referred the question to King Darius for decision. The result was happy, for after some search the decree in favour of the Jews was discovered. It not only authorised the erection of the temple, but directed the local government to afford assistance and supplies. These supplies the Jews had not hitherto ventured to claim, but Darius commanded that they should be given. Under the impulse thus imparted, the work proceeded with spirit, and four years afterwards it was completed, 516 BC. The dedication was celebrated with great solemnity and joy, and the people flocked to the courts of the Lord to perform again with thanksgiving and rejoicing the rites of their holy faith. The Jews were now restored to their own land, but they were under tribute to the Persians and subject to the general control of the princes of that people. They were allowed the free exercise of their religion and laws and were ruled by a governor of their own nation or by the high priest when no such governor was appointed. With regard to religion, the fearful lesson taught by the desolation of the land, the destruction of the temple and the captivity of the people had greatly cured the Jews of that tendency to idolatry which had brought on them such misery and ruin. But the inherent corruption of the human heart, restrained in one point, broke out in others. There are few more humbling lessons of man's infirmity and the sinfulness of his nature than may be gathered from the history of the Jews. It does not appear that the people suffered further molestation during the long reign of Darius, and his son and successor, Xerxes, seems to have regarded them with favour. This monarch was succeeded in 464 BC by Artaxerxes Longomanus, in whose reign the Jews proceeded to rebuild Jerusalem on a regular plan, and to surround it with a wall, as will appear in a following chapter. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the first leaders in the Restoration, had by this time been gathered to their fathers, and confusion and disorder were spreading widely amongst the Jews at Jerusalem. Light was the danger which they had encountered from the enmity of the people of the land, compared with that which they now experienced from too close alliances with them. Many broke the laws of their God by marrying heathen wives. Some even of the princes and of the priests were guilty of this act of disobedience. A reformer was urgently needed, who should have wisdom to judge and firmness to act. And such a reformer was found in Ezra the priest, who headed the second large body of exiles who returned from Babylonia to Judea, 457 BC. Armed with the authority of the Persian king, and entrusted with large offerings to the temple, including valuable contributions from the monarch himself, Ezra prepared for his journey. The bank of the river Ahava was the gathering place for the people. There, Ezra pitched his tent, 
and there he proclaimed a solemn fast that the travellers might unite in supplication to the Almighty for protection on their dangerous way. As the band of pilgrims bound for Jerusalem included tender women and helpless children, and was ill-provided for defence against an enemy in the probable event of an attack, some thoughts were entertained of requesting a military escort from the king. But Ezra had declared before Artaxerxes his firm faith in the power and goodness of God, and the noble-minded Jew shrank from making a petition which might seem to imply distrust of the Almighty's providential care. Ezra would not lean on an arm of flesh, but with prayer and fasting he committed himself and his people to the protection of the Most High. In safety, the second body of exiles returned to the holy city. Having deposited in the temple the treasures with which he had been entrusted, Ezra applied himself with earnest zeal to the arduous work of reformation. The discoveries made by him of the guilt and corruption prevailing amongst God's chosen people filled Ezra with grief and shame. He felt that the greatest of evils is sin, the greatest of dangers, that of forfeiting the protection of the Almighty by trespassing against him. In deep sorrow of heart, Ezra rent his garments, and falling on his knees with tears, confessed before the Lord the sins of those whom divine mercy had restored to their land. O oh my God, I am ashamed, I blush to lift up my eyes to thee, exclaimed the leader of the backsliding Jews. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our transgression is grown up unto the heavens. The blessing of the Lord whom he supplicated rested upon the efforts of Ezra to bring back the erring to the paths of righteousness. With repentance and weeping, the Jews returned to their God, order was again restored, and the heathen wives were put away. Let us now retrace a little the course of history to consider some events of great interest and importance which occurred at the court of Persia, between the periods of the return of the first and second bands of exiles to the land of Judea. Principal contemporaneous events from 536 to 457 BC, Hippias banished from Athens, 510 BC, Tarquins banished from Rome, 509 BC, Xerxes invaded Greece, 481 BC. End of chapter 1